0: From Afters, in collaboration with FBI Radio, this is Radio Brain. In this episode, making news into narrative, with Natalie Sikolowska speaking to Miles Martignoni. Hi, Nat. Hey, Ryan. So, Nat, in this episode, you're speaking to Miles Martignoni. Miles is the head of audio at The Guardian Australia and executive producer of The Full Story, The Guardian Australia's daily news podcast. So a big part of the podcasting landscape is you know like documentary style narrative journalism. You know it's it's really popularized by shows like This American Life and 99% Invisible and what podcasts like The Full Story The Daily from the New York Times and 7am are doing is taking some of those documentary style storytelling techniques and applying them to telling the news. And the end result is something that's like much more engaging and dynamic listening than a typical news broadcast. I think it's kind of difficult to grasp the process behind making something like that, So, in this episode, you and Miles go behind the scenes and break down some of the process that goes into making an episode of Full Story.
1: And um, something really interesting as well, you know, about the Hate Factory, which is the episode that we kind of pull apart. He was kind of talking about off-the-cuff material and off-the-cuff moments, and that's something that I've, you know, always wondered, you know, how that works. I just never really understood how, you know, reporters and producers could kind of, you know, create those moments. And even if they are kind of off the cuff and they don't really know what to expect moving forward, the moment just still ends up turning out so perfect when you're listening back to the podcast.
0: Mm, Totally. And you you realize that like, it seems very like, off the cuff, but then when you hear him describe it, you're like, oh, like, you know, there's a lot of preparation that goes into making sure that those moments happen and yeah. that they get captured on audio.
1: Yeah. And I think when you're listening to a podcast and you don't really understand, like, the process behind it, you're kind of like, wow, it's kind of like someone just performed like a, like a magic trick in front of you. Mm. Then when you kind of, you know, when they kind of unpack the process that goes behind it, you're like, oh, it's kind of like that, you know, revelation kind of moment. <laughs>
0: Here's Nat speaking to Miles. And if this conversation reveals your nascent dream to make podcasts, check out the Graduate Diploma of Radio or the Podcasting Fundamentals course at afters. That's A-F-T-R-S dot E-D-U dot A-U.
1: Miles, thanks so much for being on our show.
2: It's my pleasure.
1: Maybe start by telling us, how did you kickstart your radio career and what was it that sparked your interest in the industry?
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't think I ever expected to get into radio. I actually went to study computer science after high school and was a bit disillusioned. I didn't want to just be kind of coding at a computer day in, day out. And basically my friends had started a community radio show and it just kind of drew me in Slowly but surely, like they had started at a small suburban station, Triple H, and so I just kind of increased and increased my involvement there, and then went back to uni, picked up some media subjects and other subjects, and started to study radio, and then I went to FBI and then to SER as well, and at the same time I was listening to a lot of podcasts like This American Life and Radio Lab, you know all all the classics of that era. Uh, and today, I guess. And, you know, I went to afters, and then I went to work at the ABC. And even then, like even out to 2011, 2012, I was kind of thinking I'd end up specializing in uh, as a kind of multi-platform journalist doing video photography, writing and some audio. But I think I just came on at just the right time when there was a lot of interest in people starting podcasts and companies getting interested. And so I just found that all of my freelance work was in audio, which, you know, was great for me. I really loved it. It was what I was best at. So instead of kind of broadening all my skill set, I just really honed in on audio uh, more and more every year. And yeah, now I get to do it day in, day out at The Guardian. It's Yeah, I, I'm really lucky that... Two friends started a community radio show like over a decade ago.
1: You mentioned you've dedicated your time to community broadcasters like FBI Radio and to SCR. How important do you think community radio is when it comes to getting a foot in the industry?
2: Yeah, well, I think unfortunately it's very important because you used to have more traineeships and opportunity to get practical work at different radio stations or other places But I think it's just, you know, in society, you know, trying to cut costs, like we seem to have cut a lot of like internal training programs at at all kinds of institutions. And so now you kind of, you have to go and either intern for free, make your own work or work at a community radio station. Now, I love community radio. There's nothing like that pressure of having to make something to go out to people. Like you can sit around and make your own podcast, but I think the pressure of a radio station helps season you, and you meet a lot of people. You make a lot of contacts as well. I, I found, like I found, a lot of, you know, I was kind of passing work between people I'd met in community radio, and they were giving me little bits of work, and that's how I got my first foot in because we were all trying to get in the same industry. And so it was just nice to have, you know, kind of comrades in this adventure. So I think now it's essential. I think, you know, now when we advertise jobs and read people's resumes, and it's always really good to see the practical things they've done. And one of the easiest ways to get practical experience is to go to community radio. But, you know, all up, I think it's a little bit unfortunate because, I mean, community radio is fantastic. I love it. I mean, it's a good thing to do to help out of the community radio station. community radio stations, I think, are really essential. But the fact that people have to work for free essentially you know, blocks out a, a large proportion of people that could be getting involved in the media. And I think that's also why we have a demographic problem in the media, where it's largely middle-class, white people who work in the media because I think there's not a lot of paid opportunities for new people to get in. And so you're missing getting a whole bunch of people from different socioeconomic backgrounds involved in the media.
1: So you're currently working on the Full Story podcast at The Guardian. How did that series come about?
2: So, I mean, The Guardian's always been interested in podcasts since the beginning of The Medium. Um, In London, they they always had podcasts um, going. And when The Guardian Australia was started, they were also interested in audio and they kind of dipped their toe in doing some cultural products and some things for festivals. And slowly but surely, like, as they got to hear these products, they wanted to do more and more. And so the news division wanted to do more and started to just try shows. We made Token, a great show about diversity. We made Behind the Lines, a kind of show about what goes into the journalism we were doing there. And then in the meantime, in London, they started to get really serious about audio. Like they had a lot of good shows, but they wanted to grow more. I still remember the day the Daily launched. I'm pretty sure I sent an email to all my editors. It was just like this this idea. Like it's, it's just such an amazing idea. Like the way they've done it and the way it sounds. Like I, I was really enthused at it. And... I think it took us a while to all realize, you know, what makes the daily good. Like, I think people listen to the daily or, and they hear the title and they think it's because it comes out every day and it's about the news, but really, when you really think about the stories they do and how they do them and you hear the producers talk about it, it's this marriage of documentary style processes and a narrative with the news cycle So I started to think about this more and more and more and more. And in London, they had created their own daily podcast, Today in Focus, and essentially we were looking at ideas in Australia for how we could expand The Guardian. We did a lot of different things. We hired an environment editor, an investigations editor. I was like, well, why pitch for like one more producer or, you know, one more show? I'm going to pitch a daily show with a full team of four and just put everything into it. I had, you should have seen my presentation. I had 50 slides on demographics on our audience on how to produce the show, like what each person would be doing. I just pitched my heart out and also made a case commercially of why essentially, you know, it would pay itself in the long run. And it turns out they agreed with it. And so we decided to make this show and, Yeah, it was really exciting just hiring a team. I mean, you have to understand, from like a freelancer perspective, you work alone a lot of the time. And even when you work with other people, you're not really in the same place. And at The Guardian, I was the only audio person. You know, nobody really spoke the audio language like me. Everyone liked the work and appreciated it. But now to work with, you know, three other people day in, day out, just everyone is constantly just trying to make the audio better. It's, it's just great.
1: Traditionally, it's interesting because news is quite objective and structured, whereas storytelling can be quite the opposite. How do you combine news and storytelling to make an engaging podcast?
2: Yeah, so I think the point of using these narrative structures to talk about the news is just to make it as relatable as possible and as engaging as possible, and sometimes using empathy, I guess, to have someone understand an issue, I don't think we're really less objective. Like, I think the language is definitely more casual than your traditional news, audio, broadcasts. But the whole point is just to get people to understand the news. And that's really, like, most of the work is in figuring out how to tell the story, because it's quite a dramatic reworking of how most news stories are written, which is you know, the kind of inverted pyramid where you put the most important information and newest stuff at the top and you get more and more into the details as you go to the bottom. It's a bit more like when some, if someone were to write a feature and you have a character and quotes from them and you, you have a, a more descriptive opening. Yeah, And we're always looking for characters and for easy ways to add tape to just kind of, I guess, make it more than just a few people having a conversation.
1: Well, using Hate Factory, for example, can you help us unpack the process involved in creating that episode?
2: Yeah, this is an interesting one. I was just digging around for the session and it wasn't called Hate Factory, it was just called Chris and Mick, because this one was a kind of long running investigation that at first was a bit of a secret investigation. Like, I knew these two reporters were working on something and... I kept being told that it would make a great podcast, but I didn't know what it was. So I just helped facilitate interviews, which I wasn't even recording. I would just put them in the booth and they would do it all. And I wouldn't really, they'd walk out and be like, oh, such an amazing interview. And I would just like, I have no idea what was really going on until a bit later on. And then they gave us a a kind of a full briefing about what the story was about. And then we went through the interviews and tried to figure out how to tell it in a narrative. The, The interesting thing about this story and... Maybe we should explain what it's about. It's essentially about how certain groups are coordinating far-right, kind of almost propaganda posts globally in Australia, um, overseas in Israel, and in the US, uh, amongst other places. Yeah, let me just uh share my screen and let me show you. So when you're trying to tell this a story like this, like we're always interested in how we introduce characters and people. What we do is we kind of lay out a structure that we'd like the interview to flow. Like we have consulted with a reporter and then we say, well, we want to interview you, but we want to lay out information in this order because people have a tendency to just kind of tell you the whole story, in you know, a very early on or move on very quickly. And we need to pace the story out very deliberately. So our reporters who we work with are kind of in on the structure we're going to go. But we try and have a natural conversation because, you know, print reporters are, are not You know, they're not trained to read a script naturally. But we do sometimes coach them to give us lines. And so when we introduce Chris, like this is the line and we really want him to say basically this exact line.
0: So this story started when I got a tip uh, from someone who had been watching a number of far-right Facebook groups here in Australia. And it
2: follows a pretty traditional behind-the-scenes of journalism structure, which Full Story doesn't often do. But it was such a perfect story where you could follow how the investigation unfolded. But when you listen to the episode, it's actually not 100% true. Let me explain. So how the investigation happened is they got a tip-off. They bring together this team. They find out a connection with these groups in Australia to Israel they analyze this page content, they find these links back to these websites, they use the websites to identify who's behind it all, and then they contact a bunch of admins of Facebook pages to kind of confirm what they found out, and then they contact the person behind it all. But when we look at the story, that's not the best way to run it out. So, you know, we can't lie because it's journalism, but Essentially, we kind of change the order we're presenting the information to you. So in our episode, we introduce an extra mystery, a kind of an extra character, which is only a small part in the feature, but for us is a pivotal turning point. And so they did these amazing interviews with these Facebook admins. We had two of them and we decided to concentrate on one. Where this person kind of slowly dawns upon him what's happening as they're talking to him. Now, in our episode, you are finding out what's happening along with the character, but the reporters actually know everything. Like they know who's ultimately behind it already. But we introduce this mystery of this character called Tahila. This is the character the admin knows, and so for the whole the first half of our episode, we're talking about Tahila and what they've done, and then at the end of that first half, it kind of turns and it's like, oh, this might not be a real person. Whereas if you just follow the investigation, they already knew all of this. But it adds a lot more narrative tension when you follow along with this character who is finding out about all this information and has this revelation. So we really took it and moved parts of the story in order so that the audience would find it out in a more compelling way.
1: What about the -the off-the-cuff material how how did you go about navigating that
2: so sometimes you kind of have to like coach it out of people in a way but then you also want to use the natural stuff so when we when we meet the Facebook page moderator we use the sound of the phone and all of that kind of stuff to kind of transition us into a scene and I just love the way he spoke and the natural conversation between him and Mick
0: so a really critical part to this investigation was getting in touch with some of the local administrators who run Facebook groups in the US um, who have been co-opted into this sort of automated global network. Good
3: evening, Ron DeVito.
0: Hey, Ron, how are you going?
2: I'm doing well. Sorry about the...
0: The Australian admins were very reluctant to talk to us.
3: Mm. Not everyone wants to talk to The Guardian who runs a far right
0: Facebook page. The Americans were remarkably forthcoming. So they were more than eager to chat. Here we go. Mm.
1: Here we go. Here we go. Okay.
3: So Ron is the administrator of a page called Making America First, which is a pro Donald Trump, American right-wing Facebook page so, we're, you know, we're
2: using all of, all of the tropes of how he speaks, but also that moment where Chris and Mick are just amazed at how happy to talk the Americans were, like a beautiful moment, totally off the cuff, like really like we had to put it in there. But I guess the kind of off the cuff thing I'd like to talk about the most is this moment here. So we've gotten to the, almost the end of the story They've done all the work they can and all they have to do now is contact the person they think is behind all of it. Um, And I think this is the scene.
1: Did you ever manage to track down Ariel and speak to him?
3: Well, we tried to call him. But he didn't answer. Okay. Right. Okay, Okay, here's what we do. So we wrote him an email. Hi, mm-hmm. Ariel. My name is Michael McGowan. The past few weeks, my colleagues and I have been looking into a network of websites, including... Now to do this by tracing a digital footprint back several years. We know, for example, that you were... hate ...against Islam and influencing democracy. We plan to run a story on this next week. So we will be naming you in the story... But, of course, I'd like to give you a chance to comment on everything that I have written above. Um, I don't know, how would you feel if you got that message?
0: I would have an hour of panic (laughs) and then an hour of denial and then I would probably try and weasel my way out of the story somehow.
3: I would delete every single thing i had on the internet i would unplug my computer
0: yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah, i would not be surprised if this entire thing just comes down overnight
3: yeah you know we could wake up tomorrow and it could all be gone Mm.
2: and yeah they wake up in the morning and it's all gone but this scene so i remember this because they were going to call him and i was about to go home and i said no i should wait because, so this email, I made sure they recorded what they were saying with the email. Like they had started recording it and then stopped it. And I actually recorded this whole back and forth between Chris and Mick where Mick is explaining that Chris doesn't understand what the podcast needs and shouldn't have stopped recording. And Chris is, it's it's fairly funny. Um, But I had them, okay, can you just read it all out again? And we cut it into that. But then that whole montage where you hear Mick ask Chris, how you'd feel if you got that. That's the question I asked them. And the reflection they gave me was at first it was a bit flippant. They didn't really want to get into it, but they did. And when they did, it was brilliant. Like this brilliant idea of like, how does it feel to get that? What would they do? Like it it became this great reaction, but you know, it's not a reaction that just, just happened accidentally. Like it's a reaction we had to, you know, I had to be like, oh, well, maybe we could get something out of this. What else could we do? What can I ask them to record? And I mean, as you work with reporters, like they get better at recording these kinds of interactions. Like some people just start to understand all of these little things like driving around and talking to yourself. Like these things make great podcasts. And they get better at collecting them. But initially, you kind of have to prompt them a bit because it just feels weird recording yourself thinking out loud. It feels inconsequential. But when you're trying to tell a story, like these moments really stick in people's memories. And I think that's what makes the Hate Factory, like, shine, is these moments between Chris and Mick and the candor of their talent. You know, I think the episode has its own issues, like it could it could be shorter it could have been two parts it could have you know one less reporter in it there's three of them in there but you know when i think back to it like i really loved making sure all these character moments really like stayed strong in in the episode
1: so you you mentioned earlier that you know when when you kind of got started, you know, into the podcasting world, you started off as an individual working on these podcasts. And then when you moved to the Guardian, that's kind of when you got into more of a team environment. I know a lot of uh, people who are interested in podcasting and, you know, starting out in that sphere, you know, will be starting out as individuals um, and on their own. What kind of tips do you have for anyone who wants to get into podcasting or radio, but they're not too sure where to start?
2: Yeah, I mean you just have to make something. It can be terrible, but you've got to make it. If you don't make something terrible, you'll never make anything better. And even today sometimes that's our philosophy like I've turned to one of our producers before and I'm like, how's the edit going? And they just look at me and it's like, it's it's not sounding good. And I'm like, look, just make it bad quickly and then we'll listen to it and we'll figure out how to make it better. And so you can really take that same attitude as when you're starting, you know, when looking for people to hire, I value that practical experience and that can come through an institution, but it can also come through making your own things. I remember someone applied for a job And they had done some community radio experience and they hadn't really done anything at the ABC or in other places, but they had made their own independent podcast that had a a pretty unique voice and a strong sense of character. And so that's kind of was enough to kind of, oh, okay, well, they've done all of this work experience, but then they've also gone and made this thing. And, you know, it's not the thing we necessarily want to make, but you can kind of hear how they've constructed it and, and the potential there. So I think you can even just make your own independent stuff as a way of getting, of breaking in. And it's a great way to practice, but it's hard when you're doing it your own. You don't have deadlines, you know, you've really got to drive yourself and and keep yourself accountable. Then I would say also, you know, reach out to people in the industry, you know, looking for mentors, looking for people you can just talk to about the industry, get some insights, you know, email producers, what's the worst that could happen? If someone wants to email me and ask some questions, the worst that'll happen is that I'm busy and I won't answer. Just email me again a month later, and eventually I'll feel guilty enough that no matter how busy I am, I'll probably end up answering, you know? But also I'd say be specific when you're reaching out to people, like um, if there's people at the ABC or at a commercial network you want, like it's often good to have a specific question. If you just say, oh, I just want to have a general chat, some general advice, like it's actually hard for someone to sit down and think about, well, what is the broad general advice I would give? So if you have specific questions, that's good. Always be familiar with their work. You know, you're reaching out to people for specific reasons. Often they won't be able to give you work straight up, but making those connections kind of lead to work later on, that can be scary to do that. But in the end, you know, you're trying to form connections because The work in this industry, especially at the beginning, it doesn't come from job applications. Like there's not a lot of jobs being advertised. It comes from connections, from scraps of freelance work. But I'd also say applying for a job, even though you're not sure if you can get it is really good. It puts your resume in front of people. You know, I got my first job at the ABC because I applied for a job I didn't get, but I did very well in the interview. And so that was enough to get the attention to talk to me more and then to offer me some freelance work, which then led to a contract. So just apply and keep trying and keep making connections. And I think getting into your community radio station and really thinking about the things you can do that lead to the job that you want. So, you know, when we were looking for roles for Full Story, very, very specific skill set, like this weird narrative and, and engagement with news, meant that, you know, I had plenty of people who were working in like talk radio that applied that had a lot of experience there but we didn't even interview a lot of them because we ended up talking to people who had experience with news and also in some form of documentary or narrative structure and I think that's often the case of a lot of jobs like it like that, you know, people stand out when they've done kind of precursor things. So, if you want to work at the ABC at 702, then you should be producing shows on radio, on community radio, that sound like that show, and then shifting those skills over to a different demographic when you move. If you want to make podcasts for a, a radio station, then you should be trying to make podcasts that sound similar or have some elements that can be transferable, like that your skills can be transferable. Like, I think that's a big, important key that I'm only just starting to understand more now.
1: <laughs> well, that's the thing. I think it's just a learning process. And
2: you're always learn- I'm always learning now too, you know, and like, you know, working in a team, you know, each of the people I work with are much better than me at a lot of different things, you know, and I might have more experience than them overall, but Our sound engineer is so much better than music, it just makes me feel like everything I've ever done with music is terrible. You know, our other producer is just a master editor, like just cutting down stories so much faster than I could ever do it. And it's just nice to see how different people's skills fit together and are always developing and you're always learning. I think if you think you've stopped learning, like you probably have a personality problem, I guess.
1: Well, I, I really appreciate your time, Miles. It was really great. And thanks again for being on the show. Oh, yeah,
2: thanks.
0: Radio Brain is made by FBI Radio for AFTERS, Australia's premier screen and broadcast school. Enroll now in the podcasting fundamentals course on their website, aftrs.edu.au. AFTERS is a sponsor of FBI Radio. This episode was produced by Natalie Sekolovska and me, Ryan Pemberton. Our artwork is designed by Karina Azlikan. Music by Sound of Picture. Thanks for listening.